morning I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians 6, beginning with verse 12, and we'll be reading through verse 20. We are in the middle of a <coughs> series on the culture, and this morning we're going to move into this area of sexual immorality in the culture. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. But God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. What were you doing on June 5th, 1976 at 11.57 a.m.? Most of you probably don't remember, however, if you happen to be living in Idaho, just downstream from the Teton Dam on the Teton River, you would probably remember very well that day. For it was on that day that a hole developed in the top of the dam. Before long it had widened and another hole came. And shortly before noon on that day, 90 billion gallons of water flooded down into the Teton Valley. I remember a number of years ago a illustration, a description, as it were, of a culture. And it was put in terms of a dam. In any given culture, there's a tremendous amount of sexual energy. And that energy is held back by a dam, as it were, the Word of God. And sexuality is to be used and metered out in a way which is constructive for the society. In this case, the Teton Dam provided a recreational area above the dam, and it metered out water in just the right amounts so as to nourish the valley below. In the description, what happens in a culture is that holes begin to be drilled in the dam to let more water out, outside of the design in which God created it for. And soon those holes become bigger and bigger and bigger, and eventually the entire dam is compromised. And when the dam breaks, and there is unbridled sexual expression, it is the beginning of an end for those cultures. Those who have studied cultures identify three common denominators. Rising bureaucracy, these are common denominators now in cultures which have imploded. 
rising bureaucracy, loss of economic discipline, and moral decline. Under the moral decline in those cultures, they no longer valued life. There was a denial of religious belief, and sexual immorality became rampant. Listen to these words of Romans 1 and chapter 24, or verse 24. He's talking about a culture in which they deny God as God and in essence become their own gods. And the response of God is, we see in verse 24, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. And so we see that a sign of rampant sexual decline and immorality is a sign of God giving a culture over to its own sinful desires. Those sinful desires will eventually destroy the culture. In 1 Corinthians 6, the passage that we, we looked at this morning, Paul is addressing the problem of sexual immorality in his day, and it was a huge problem. The attitudes of the culture were extremely different from the attitudes of Christ and the early apostles. We see that in Roman culture, the culture out of which many believers came who were probably in the church in Corinth, we see that those who lived in it had a very perverted sense of sexuality in the culture. In reading about the culture of that day for men, they had wives for the sake of children, and they had prostitutes and servants and slaves and prom promiscuous uh, sex for the purpose of pleasure. Most males did not marry until they were in their late 20s after many years of promiscuity. Women were, however, married in ages 14 to 16, and were, it was expected they would remain faithful to their husbands in that marriage. The culture in Corinth was a cesspool of immorality. The goddess Aphrodite was present, and it was believed that the way to get close to this god was through sexual experience. It is recorded that there were up to a thousand temple prostitutes, many of them young girls forced to put in their two years in the temple. This was then their worship, going to the temple and hooking up together with a prostitute. And so we see that Corinth was a crossroads of people from merchants that traveled through and came, and, and this is what they were involved with in the city of Corinth. It was a very immoral place. There was also a teaching in the church and that was that the spirit was very important, but the body didn't really matter. It was just spiritually what you believed, but since the body was sinful and since the body would be destroyed, what you did in the body didn't matter. People preached that they had freedom to do whatever. And so we see here that Paul is addressing both the ideas of freedom and the importance of the body in this text. Now this morning we're not going to have time to get into this in depth. I will get into that more and more deeply in the next message on this. We're just going to have time to introduce this topic this morning. If we take a look at the word perversion, the word perversion, what this means is this is when we use something in a way that it was not intended to be used. We pervert it. 
Perversion is something which is being misused. An example would be a snowmobile. You could take a snowmobile out now in the summer. You could take it right down uh, Grand Avenue and drive it all around. And although it would work for a while, you would quickly destroy it because you are using it for a purpose for which it was not intended. This is what Paul's culture and this is what our culture is doing with God's gift of sexuality to us. So, let's take a look at this perversion in our culture today. And let me just warn you up front. By the time we walk through these four perversions, and there are certainly more than that, probably just about every one of us here will be indicted on one of these in some way. And so lest you think I'm picking on anyone here this morning, this is a problem that is significant for all of us. I remember in the 1960s, I remember watching the comedy sitcom Bewitched. And there was an episode there where Barbara Eden's outfit, which occasionally slid to expose her belly button, was banned from TV under the Hayes Censorship Act. That's how far we've gone in terms of loosening, loosening of some of the sexual kinds of imagery and leading into the perversions of sexuality that we find in our day. Paul admonishes in this passage, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. He exhorts the church to flee from sexual immorality. And so let's take a look at four holes that have been drilled in the dam of our culture. Here's the first one, living together. Here's the reasoning. And I was just reminded a while back sitting down with a young man and he had grown up in a home where his parents divorced and it was an extremely painful experience. And he was telling me that he was living with his girlfriend. He said, I because I highly value marriage, because I want to take every precaution as to not repeat that in the future, I am going to live with my girlfriend for a long time until I am sure that this is the right person and that we can make it, and then we'll get married. You know, it used to be people knew it was wrong to live together before you were married, but of course, people would do it anyway. Nowadays, people not only no longer think it's wrong, but believe it's right, that it, it makes sense that it seems like the right thing to do. Scriptures, however, tell us that there is a way that seems right unto a man, but its end is destruction. So it is in this area. The data is coming out on living together before you're married. Presently, the stats are there are about 9 million men and women living together. In one generation, that's risen by 1,200%. Trends show that nearly 8 out of 10 couples living together will not, stay will not stay together and will not be married 10 years down the road. All of the studies, even the most conservative secular studies, are now showing 
that living together will decrease, not increase, your chances of staying married. Living together in a let's see relationship is not the same as being married. In fact, living together sets patterns that work against, not for the marriage. And of course, one of these patterns is that it's okay to be sexually intimate with someone you are not yet committed to marrying. A Penn State study reports that the amount of time living together decreases the quality of the relationship. <clears throat> this is a letter written by someone who had experienced this in their own uh, relationship. I wish I could tell every young adult in America that you truly will reap what you sow. Living together may seem wonderful initially, but eventually it creates more problems than you can imagine. I lived with my boyfriend for two years before we got married. I knew I was breaking my parents' hearts as well as my Heavenly Father's heart. My boyfriend was not a Christian, but I figured I could change him if we moved in together. The this-is-yours-that-is-mine mentality that enabled us to successfully live together completely unraveled once we got married. We'd become too separate and selfish, making it nearly impossible to become one flesh. The honeymoon was over before the wedding day ever arrived. Here's the second one. A recreational attitude towards sexuality. That meaning that sex is something you do for fun. Not exclusively with a lifetime partner, but something you do as part of a date. You see a movie together, you have a meal together, you sleep together. It would not be appropriate for me in this setting to even begin to describe what's going on in middle school children. Things happening on the bus, in the school, in the classroom, in the bathrooms. In fact, one out of five students surveyed on a national survey said they had seen sexual acts committed in the school. And only 17% said they would ever tell their parents what they saw. The emotional and psychological and spiritual impact of this data on upcoming generations is absolutely frightening to me. The ability of young adults who have been sexually active from the time they were barely teenagers up through these years has created and will create a generation of people with a very, very limited ability to, say, to sustain uh, healthy, effective marriages and families into the future. The ability to maintain healthy marital relationships which God, in which God designed sexuality to be a part is going to be very difficult to maintain. Number three, same-sex relationships. A 1990, uh, 1995 poll said that 90% of the public believes that we should value all types of families including same-sex relationships. Now, <clears throat> let me just say that word, a little bit about that word value. 
we value all people. We value people who walk in through those doors who might be living together. We value people who walk into those doors and may have an attitude that sexuality is something just to be enjoyed outside of marriage. We value people who are struggling, as we'll see in just a moment, <coughs> with pornography. And we value people who may have same-sex attractions. All of these things, all of these things are perversions, it's misuse of it's, it's, it's going away from the design which God has for sexuality. But we welcome those kinds of people. And we will value people in those situations. And we will call people in those situations to repent, to live their lives according to the Word of God. But I think it's important to understand that no matter what the struggle someone might have, that they are of great value to God and they are to be a great, also of great value to us. Many people who struggle with same-sex attraction have been through extremely difficult things in their lives. I'm not making excuses for it. I'm just saying that's the way it is. Many people in those situations are in need of, of deep healing, which can happen in a place and in a church that values those people. And so our challenge as a church is to never compromise the truth of what God's design for sexuality is and on the, in the same, uh, on the same, be adamantly on the same level determined to value and, and love those people who are in the midst of those struggles. That's what it means to be the church. And so this is a huge issue in our day, a huge issue. And to legitimize any of, of the perversions that we're talking about this morning is really not to care about people that God brings to us. The fourth area is pornography, and this one is huge. Men are powerfully attracted to, to women. God made them that way. And he made women that way, very attractive to men. No man needs to apologize for that. No woman needs to apologize for that. The beauty and attraction needs its parameters. Pornography is one example of the perversion and exploitation of that whole attraction between men and women. It is appropriate for a woman to be seen by her husband in all her beauty. It is not appropriate for her to be exposed on the cover of Sports Illustrated to 70 million subscribers and 250 million men and women online. This is a perversion of God's intent for a woman's beauty. You know, when I was a kid, such, such uh, images were only available if you were over 18 and you could show that you were and then some guy would reach down under the car under the counter out of sight and hand you a magazine it was either there or at the deer camp from a leftover edition of playboy by uncle george that he'd left out there today there are 4.2 million 
pornographic websites. Every 39 minutes, a new website is formed. Every second of every day, there are 350 people typing in on a pornographic website. Right now, as I speak, every tick of the clock, there are 30,000 people viewing pornographic images. It's over a $90 billion industry. It's growing, and it's only one click away. It's not just a problem in the culture. It's a problem in the church. One study revealed that one in three pastors struggled with pornography. And we're not just talking porn here. We're talking about the culture at large. Any guy will tell you it's, it's, it's brutal out there. Sexuality is used to sell everything under the sun, TV, commercials, billboards, pop-ups on the computer, everything, all of it. It's all part of the work of the enemy in our culture to distort to distort this beauty of, of women and the attraction of, of men. Let me tell you something I, I learned along the way. You learn a few things as you grow older. Pornography is a cheap replacement for intimacy with your wife. In fact, Pornography cannot bring intimacy. Pornography will destroy intimacy. And it will destroy intimacy with your wife. It will not enhance the relationship in a marriage. But it's not just your wife. It could be your future wife. If you're a young man here, the images and, and what you begin to burn into your brain will be established there for many years to come. It's not just for those who may be married someday. It is just also for relationships with women and culture in general. If you want to really enjoy sexuality, then stay out of pornography. See, I came to a point a while back where I realized in that struggle as a man, that I really did want to enjoy sexuality as God intended it. And so if I was going to do that, then I would need to do it God's way. Satan is destroying the joy that God intended in people's sexuality. I remember a young man, he was my key player. We were in Roseau in the children's ministry. Young man never married, 33 years of age, very involved in the church, very committed to the church. And one day he walked into my office and he sat down and he was literally shaking. And I, I said, what's wrong? He said, I'm going to hell. I'm going to hell. He said, I'm caught in pornography and I can't get out of it. He was driving 125 miles each way every Friday night to pick up pornographic movies and videos in Grand Forks and he could not control himself. I have seen what pornography, I have read of what pornography can do to people. We need to flee from all sexual immorality. And this morning I guess that again if I had people stand here probably just about all of us 
would stand to acknowledge that we have struggled in one of these areas or another. But I want you to hear Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 6, in the context of this chapter. He says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. Amen.